0: I don't know if you've ever had siblings, uh, or if you have ever had uh, a school experience like this, or if you have ever uh, had to say these words to someone, Um, but when I was younger, my brother and I fought like a cat and a dog. Anyone else? Uh, anyone else identify with that? Um, all right. Uh, maybe you had somebody at school that you that was the way it is. Uh, may, maybe you're still living in that. I don't know. Um, but but I know that oftentimes my brother would go running to my parents, and and he would say, Jason, something me. You know, like hit me or slap me or looked at me funny or whatever. And uh, and and I remember often my mom more than my dad because. Well, we won't go there. My mom would, would say to me, now, Jason, you need to say what to your brother? I'm sorry. And, and I would. I would. I would say I'm sorry. But I didn't mean it. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I mean you know, I, I said it, but I didn't mean it. And why do, why do I know I didn't mean it? Because within five minutes... Of saying I'm sorry, I was right back at doing whatever it was that I was doing before, or something different to get to my brother. And I wasn't sorry. I was sorry I got caught. I was sorry that that I, you know, I got I got caught with my hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. Uh, I was sorry about that, but I wasn't sorry. There's a major, major difference between being sorry about about something that you have done. And, and being sorry that you've gotten caught. Do, do y'all understand what I'm saying? There's no difference in that and in our relationship with God. And in relationship with each other as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I, there is a major difference in being sorry for getting caught and being sorry for doing what I have done. All of that depends on which kingdom you are living for. If you're living for the kingdom of self or the world, understand that the the again the Bible makes it clear: broad is the road, and most people live there. Most people live there of, of following after, chasing after what the Bible calls the wind, the, the world, and, and the and the, the road is is wide, and there's many on that, and their answer is just change your behavior. If you'll just modify your behavior, then then you'll be fine. And the truth is that that's not working out well. Um, I, I don't know about any of y'all, but maybe the world that you're living in, behavior, when it gets changed, it seems to go better. It's not going better. I mean, let's look at our world and just be honest and say, listen, we can do all the behavior modification that we want. It's not changing anything. That's not what God wants God wants us to pursue his kingdom and his kingdom the Bible says narrow is the way and few find it and the answer is not behavior change the answer is let's start from the inside out let's start with change your soul Jesus did not die on a cross to change your behavior Jesus died on a cross to change your soul to change the destination of your soul. Not not to not to somehow just give you a behavior change. God wants to change you from going to death to life, from destruction to to hope and peace in him. And and so he's not yes is he concerned about our behavior ultimately there are yes of course obviously he he, i mean there's so many verses that talk about living in a way that's worthy of the gospel but none of that happens unless our soul is transformed unless our soul is changed that is what really matters and and we have to ask ourselves which kingdom am i living for today which kingdom are, are you living for today? Seek first the kingdom. Well, how'd that go this week? I mean, let's just be honest. Thinking, you know, you don't have to turn to somebody and tell them anything, but but just thinking in your mind, how did it go this week for you? Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I mean, just be honest. And, and the reality is, is that that answer has everything to do with the condition of your soul. And so this question of how's your soul, and and again, I had some people ask me that this week. Thank you for asking me that again this week. How's your soul? Is everything to do with your beatitude. Beatitudes, if you'd like. And so, how's your beatitudes? How's your soul? What kingdom are you living for? See, an attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling that is reflected in a person's behavior. Philippians chapter 2, we've read this several times in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, have the same attitude, have the same soul focus as Christ Jesus. So where do we learn that? We learn that from Jesus himself who in the Sermon on the Mount gives us his attitude. And he does that not just in his speaking, not in just his teaching, but in his living. In everything that Jesus does, we see his attitude. So if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 5 again. Matthew chapter 5. This should just become a normal routine for you as we go through the Beatitudes because that's where they're at, Matthew 5. There also is another Sermon on the Mount that's in Luke chapter 6. I believe they are two different things and two different times, and we'll talk about more of that later, but... But Matthew 5 is where we're going to camp mostly. There is another passage you can turn to that we're going to be in uh, as well this morning. Psalm 51. Psalm 51. So if you want to turn there, you're can. you getting ahead of the the game. So that's good. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus says, as he's opening his mouth and he's speaking. He's pouring out his soul into the disciples and into us by extension. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, verse 3. Being poor in spirit is admitting that because of my sin, I am completely destitute spiritually. I am completely bankrupt spiritually, and there is nothing that I can do to deliver myself from that situation. Nothing I can do. I can't do enough good works. I can't be a good enough person. I can't say enough, do enough, think enough. To change that situation, I am absolutely bankrupt spiritually. I am destitute spiritually. And being poor in spirit is admitting that I am completely destitute apart from God. Listen, the quickest way to become poor in spirit is to look at God. We need to look at God, not look at the people around us, not look at at a missionary or a pastor or some other individual that that you sometimes set up on a pedestal. Who you need to look at is God, and you need to ask yourself, how do I look in comparison? Because when we're in the presence of the one who is perfect, how can you boast about how good you are? This next phrase is so important. God loves, loves to bring us to the end of ourselves. God loves to bring us to the end of ourselves to expose our deficiency so that we can see his sufficiency. God is sufficient. God is all I need. Christ is all I need. And, and, and what we need to understand is, is that God will expose and bring you to the end of yourself and expose your deficiencies so that you can see that he alone is what you need. And let's just be honest. Some of y'all, like, like if you're like me, um, there, Toby Mac has a song called The Hard Way. Any y'all have hard, thick, hard-headed, you're hard-headed. Let's just put it that way. Thank you, brother. Ah, uh, me too. I'm right there with you. And some of us have harder heads than others. And then, and then, y'all—if any of you all have raised kids, you've seen this. And we have five, and and uh, some of them are harder headed than others. Um, some of them, you just look at them wrong, and they—you like, ah. know what I'm saying? Maybe you're that way. Praise God for you. Um, that's not me. That is not me. Nope. I could tell you stories, but I won't because probably today they're illegal. But anyway, um, I, you know, it was, it was not spare the rod, and there was none of that going on in my house uh, growing up. Not at all. Uh, and I praise God for that all the time. I, I've turned out okay, I think. Um, some of y'all might be like, yeah, I don't know about that, um, but whatever. He loves to bring you to the end of yourself. I'm so glad that he did that to me. I'm so glad he does that to me. Why? Because he shows me that I am desperately in need of himself. Psalm 51. Keep your finger in Matthew 5, but go to Psalm 51. This is David coming to the end of himself. Nathan the prophet is having to expose David's sin. David has committed adultery, he has committed murder. He has tried to cover up and lie for over a year about what he did. And Nathan, the prophet, points the finger at him and says, you're the man. You're the one who has sinned. And David's response is, verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. There it is, looking at The sufficiency of God and recognizing I am absolutely destitute spiritually. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Aren't you glad that God is a God of steadfast love and abundant mercy? If not, we'd all be toast. And I don't mean whole wheat. I mean fried toast, like burnt. Uh, up, gone, bye-bye. Uh, I don't even know where that all came from, but whatever. Blot out my transgressions. That word transgressions is the word, a word that we would use today, rebellion. Rebellion. Blot out my rebellion. He is acknowledging the fact that that he is a rebel against God, that he has sinned against God. Wash me thoroughly, verse 2, from my iniquity. These are acts of sin. Cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions, my rebellion, and my sin is ever before me. David is is coming to the end of himself. God is exposing his deficiency so that he can see God's sufficiency and he acknowledges that I am a I'm a rebel. I am a transgressor. I, my sin is always before me. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Back to Matthew chapter 5, keep a finger in Psalm 51. Matthew 5, verse 4. Again, you need to think of these, they're progressing. As we move along, they're progressing. Recognizing that I am spiritually destitute. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The idea of mourning here is the most extreme sense of grieving. It is It is being sorry for what I have done, broken over sin in my life, like as if you are grieving the loss of someone in your life that has been ripped away from you, and you are missing something, and you feel it, and 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 it's aching in your heart, and there is a a hollowness in your soul, and, and, and it is just, it is plaguing your mind driving you insane maybe at times. You feel like, I don't know what's going on. This is the mourning that he's talking about. Blessed are those who mourn, those who are broken over their sin. Those who are broken over their sin, recognizing, yes, I am absolutely bankrupt spiritually, but the reason that I'm bankrupt spiritually is because I am a sinner who is in need of a Savior, and I have sinned. I have sin in my life. I am broken over that. And the beauty of being broken over our sin, listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. It's going to be on the wall. Godly grief produces a repentance, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, that leads to salvation without regret. There is no regret in true salvation in Jesus Christ. None. No regret. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Whereas worldly grief produces death. Worldly grief produces death. Godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Go back to Psalm 51. Look what verse 4 says. Listen to what David says to God. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Again, what is he talking about? He's talking about against God. And God only have I sinned. I have sinned against God. I am confessing that to God. I am saying that to God. God, I have have sinned against you. You and you only have I sinned. You are right, God. You are right and you are blameless. I know you desire truth in my inward parts. What, What is he talking about? He's talking about The soul. I mean, it wouldn't make sense for him to be like, yeah, I'm, I know that he's talking about that in, in relationship to my appendix and my kidneys, my inward parts. Wait, what? No. What he's talking about is his soul. My inward parts, my soul, that hidden part, that hidden part, what is that? Again, that is the soul. You will make me to know wisdom. What does the Bible say is Wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. What is that? That that is an awe and a reverence of God in realizing that when I sin, I sin against a holy, just, and blameless God, and I am violating, I am rebelling against that all-loving, all-kind, all-merciful God. And what should be My response, brokenness, mourning, mourning, grieving over what I have done to my God, grieving to what I have done to the God who loves me and gave his life for me, grieving and mourning and and should make me just so, so intensely sick that it should drive me to him. Isaiah experiences a similar thing. Isaiah 6, 5. He sees the power of God on display and he says, Woe is me. I am lost. I am a man Of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. David, same thing. I see you. I see you, God. I know you delight in truth. So, what what do Isaiah and what does David have in common? poor in spirit both are poor in spirit both recognize and acknowledge that they're spiritually bankrupt not only are they poor in spirit they are mourning they're broken over their sin They're broken over their sin. They're broken over the sin that is in their lives, that they know is in their lives, and they're broken over that. And what does that lead them both to do? Repent. Repent. Purge me, verse 7, Psalm 51. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, I am broken, I am lost, I am in the midst, but my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What does it mean to repent? What does it mean to to repent of our sin? It means to turn away. It means to have a change of mind, change of soul. See, if we're heading in a direction that is is towards sin, listen, you're heading away from God. And God is is convicting your heart, convicting your soul of whatever sin is going on in your life. And he he is wanting you to mourn to the point that you say, okay, God, I'm done with this sin. And I repent of it and I turn away from it And when you turn away from a sin, you turn to. Starts with G and ends with odd. Thank you. Good job. I turn to God. I turn to God. When was the last time you repent? You were repentant. You repented of sin? Because it's not just a one time deal. I I don't know about y'all but I go through this life and every single day I sin every single day I sin and and you know what's what what sickens me is that I get I I, I so often just brush it off or justify it or or just sort of like pour water on it like it's not that big a deal I I've sinned against a holy, just, blameless, righteous, all-loving, kind, gracious, merciful God who doesn't want me to do that, who's given me everything I need to say no, no to sin, and yes to him. Am I willing to repent? Am I willing to turn back to him? David does. Isaiah does. And what I love about these two guys is that God shows up. Isaiah 6, verse 8. I heard the voice. Isn't that awesome? He goes from, from being, woe is me, and, and woe to me, I mean, and, and, and I am lost, to I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, here I am send me. Here I am, send me. I remember in in, in January of 1992, and that dates myself and I'm okay with that. I remember clearly in in that month, in that day, we had a a speaker at at Cedarville and and God used that speaker and he was speaking from Isaiah chapter 6. And I remember God breaking me down to the point that I was mourning, that I was, that I was grieving the sin in my life, and I, and I knew something was missing in my life, and I remember in that time turning away from that sin and going, God, I want to serve you. I want to follow you, and I can tell you, it has never been the same since. It's never been the same sense. Has it been easy? No. Has there been hardship? Yes. Has there been sin that I've had to deal with in my life? Yes, still am to this day. But it has never been the same since January of 1992. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that if God had not gotten my hold of my heart in January of 1992, I would not be standing here in October of 2023. No way, no how. The last thing on earth I ever thought I would ever be is a pastor. No way. Actually, when I was in high school, if you would have told me that, I would have cussed you out. I'm not joking. I would have laid you flat out and cussed you out and said, you're nuts. No way, Jose, that's not what I'm doing. And I praise God for his mercy and grace, and he broke me down and caused me to mourn my sin. And when I mourned my sin, what I could only do was I was at the bottom, and I turned, and I looked up, and I saw my loving, kind, merciful, gracious God who's reaching out to me saying, Come to me. I will give you rest for your soul, and I have a purpose for your life. And I praise God for that day. And I praise God for every day since then that he's broken me down and he's helped me to turn back to him and go, God, what was I thinking? Why was I going in that direction? Again, help me to turn back to you. The beauty of God is, is that not only does he desire for us to mourn, but here's the beauty of who he is, they will be, they shall be comforted, comforted. What does that word mean? comforted it means to come alongside of it means to help it's it's actually the idea of the holy spirit the paraclete the one who comes alongside of us he's even called the holy spirit is even called the comforter he's the one that comes alongside of us and he helps us 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us, not in some of our afflictions, not in the really bad ones, in all our affliction. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That is can happen now that can be today that can be every moment of every day and the beauty is it doesn't stop there because Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 he will wipe away every tear from their eyes death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away praise God amen That all that, all this is going to be made right. And you and I, we don't have to deal with sin anymore. I don't know about y'all, I'm looking forward to that day. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And guess what? We're a day closer to him coming back. How exciting is that? Every day you get up is a day closer to Jesus coming back. I'm just saying. We should get excited. We should get excited. Why? Because God doesn't leave us wallowing in mourning. God doesn't leave us. In that position, he wants to come alongside of us, he wants to help us, he wants to help carry us through each day, and he gives us the strength to be able to say no to sin and yes to him. So, so question for you, do you sense the comfort, the help of God today, right now? Are you sensing that? Do you sense the comfort and the help of God today? Listen, I I don't know if you're saying yes or no to that. It doesn't matter. Because here's the deal. You will every single day need, moment by moment, the comfort and help of God. If you want to make it through, you will need the comfort and the help of God every single day. Are you willing to do something? Actually, two things. Number one, are you willing to, like David, say this to God? You Write this passage down, y'all. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Listen to what David says. Search me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous... Another word for that is wicked, evil, sinful, weigh in me. And check out what God does. Lead me in the way everlasting. Are you willing to pray that? Are you willing to say that to God? Are you willing to say, God, search me and know my heart? That's number one. Number two, number two, this is so vital so vital, and I've learned this so, so much over the last year and a half. James 5, verse 16. Write this passage down. This is number two. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You know what's interesting is, you see those four dots? There's more to this verse than just confessing your sin, praying for one another. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. These things are huge, but do you know why? Check out this part that's missing. That you may be healed. You, You want to have victory in your life? Confess your sin to another that another pray for you that prayer is powerful and effective and here's what here's what is so vital is that that action along with searching and asking God because First John 1 9 is clear if we confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so number one I need to confess my sin to God but number two I need to confess my sin to someone who is godly not just somebody you need to go to someone who is is filled with the Holy Spirit, and you know it, and you see it in their life, and you sense it in their life, and you confess your sin to them, they pray for you so that healing comes. And I'm telling you, this is a reality that so many of us are missing because we think that we can do this thing on our own. You're not designed to do this on your own. Maybe, maybe the person that you confess to is your spouse, and that's a really great person to confess to if they're godly. <laughs> if they're godly. Um, find somebody that is godly. Pray and ask God, God, guide me to this person. Guide me to these individuals. Are you willing to do that? Listen, I, I'm telling you, I know from experience over the last year and a half, this has been vital for me in God giving me victory in my soul, healing in my soul, confessing in prayer. First, confessing to him, obviously. I, I mean, that goes hardly without saying. You, It's turning to God. So you confess to God first. God, against you and you only have I sinned. But then, number two is telling somebody about it there's great power in that there's something that God does in that and through that that is incredible and I encourage you to do it so I'm just gonna ask you would close your eyes by your head what's God telling you today you asked him God speak to my heart what's he saying what's he telling you to do Maybe, maybe there's a sin issue that you're going, you know what, I don't know that I have any unconfessed sin in my life, okay? So are you willing, like David, to say, God, search my heart, search my thoughts, show me if there's something wicked in me. And then if he does, are you willing to confess it to him? Are you willing to agree with him and say, okay, God, I agree with you that that's sin and I need to deal with that. Help me to deal with that. Give me the strength to deal with that. And he's leading you to tell somebody, and, and you know who that person is. I don't, know, I don't know what he is telling you. But are you listening, and are you going to obey? So there's going to be some people that are standing here at the front. There's going to be people that are standing at the back. And what, we, what do we want to do? We, we want to just pray with you. We, we just, we're not here to judge you or to shame you or any of those kind of things. We're just here to pray for you. Are you willing to, to come and pray with us? If not, there's somebody sitting right next to you probably. If not, then move down the pew and talk to them. I don't know. Do what the Holy Spirit's leading you to do. That's all I can say is be obedient to him, and he'll lead you. If you feel nudged by the Holy Spirit to pray for somebody next to you, just turn to them and say, hey, I'm feeling like God is wanting me to pray for you. Can I? Can I pray for you? If they say no, that's okay. Don't push it and be like, "Well, I'm going to anyway." That's um, don't do that. Just, just do it. The Holy Spirit's leading you to do. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. God, thanks, thanks that you love us. Thank you that you care for us. Thank you that you gave us your Son. You gave us your Son Jesus so that we can have forgiveness of sins, so that we can have a life in Him. So that we can live this life honoring and glorifying you. God, if there's something wicked in me, if there's some way in me that's wrong, God, would you show me? Help me to see it. Help me to acknowledge it. Help me to be willing to confess you, confess it to you and confess it to somebody else. Help me to, to be willing to grieve over whatever it is. To mourn for whatever it is. And God, thank you that you have promised to comfort. Help me. Even if I don't feel the comfort right away, help me to be willing to obey you no matter what. God, you're good. Thanks for your love. Thank you for your son. Let's stand. Let's sing.